0: Reading this morning from John chapter 12, beginning at verse 27. Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoke to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I... When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the praises we have uh, witnessed already this morning, for the, for the time we have to come together uh, under your command to join together as a church and to worship you. Everything we do this morning, Lord, is we want it to be worship for your worthy name. And so we ask that you would bless, that your spirit would uh, fill us, that uh, as we minister and worship you through the preaching uh, of your word, we thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Before I begin, I want to just make one little announcement. Um, Jessica Stoltz has a plaque that was given to her by uh, Coburn's store over here, saying that she has worked there faithfully for 20 years. Hold it up, Jessica, where everybody can see it. Now, that's quite an accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. That's good. Well, I hope uh, that all of you had a wonderful Christmas and uh, joined together with friends and family. and uh, It's always a great time. Tiring time, but uh, a good time nonetheless. And we're glad that you're all here this morning. It looks like maybe... Winter is starting to threaten us a bit, although I see the forecast this week is going to be back in the 30s and 40s. So, uh, what's here won't last very long, but i got a feeling when it comes, it's going to come with a fierceness. All right, well, we come back to chapter 12 this morning, and we see, uh, we co- as we come to the end of this chapter, and probably another Week, maybe two before we finish uh, chapter 12. But uh, this morning we see that Jesus has spoken of his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection and ascension back to heaven. We saw that uh, when he said that the, the Son of Man must be lifted up from the earth. And that word from not only means that he would be hung on a cross, that that was understood by the people, but also that he would, resur- he would be resurrected and that he would ascend back to heaven where he had come from. His death would bring about several things that were to unfold in God's great plan of the ages, which is now coming to its focal point. These things are viewed... Uh, these things that Jesus speaks of here in this portion we read this morning are viewed as though they have already happened, although they are yet future events. In other words, they are so sure, these victories of his are so sure that they can be viewed as already accomplished. And so to relate this, he uses the word now. Now. Now it must the Son of Man is to be lifted up. And when he is, several things will happen. First, Christ's death will bring judgment upon the world. Judgment. God God has in his plan the judgment of all those who reject his grace. Second, Christ's death would bring judgment upon Satan. This was decreed by God from the very beginning, that there would come one in Genesis chapter 3, there would come one that would crush the serpent's head. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, Jesus' death would bring about salvation for the world in verse 32. So in God's, in God's scheme of redemption, the cross then becomes absolutely necessary For the Son of God, if he is going to accomplish his mission on earth, it cannot be bypassed, even though we will see later that Jesus, in his humanity, questions that, and at the same time knowing that it had to be. He spoke plainly and distinctly as he revealed the manner of death that he would endure. And yet the people did not understand it because their eyes were blinded to it. They could not see it. And they would not see it. Their ears were deaf to the Messiah's language. But it was real. The things that were happening were real. R.A. Torrey, in his book, The Uplifted Christ, wrote on this passage, The Speaker was our Lord Jesus He was not the Christ of men's imaginings, but the Christ of reality, the Christ of actual historic fact, not the Christ of mystical imaginings, but the Christ of actuality, who lived here among men and was seen, heard, and handled by men and was soon to die a real death to save real sinners from a real hell to a real heaven. These things were happening that were happening were not simply the conjuring of people's minds. The writers of the Gospels agree with all of these things that happened. His words were not the words of subjective intellect, but they were the words of objective truth spoken by the one who will judge the world in righteousness, according to Acts. Chapter 17, verse 31. He is the crucified Christ, the only one through whom the Father draws people to Himself by His eternal Spirit. In fact, the crucified Christ is the only one who can draw people to be drawn to the freedom of sin and relationship with God. No one else can do that. The social gospel that seems to be so prevalent around us today cannot draw people to Christ. Entertainment will not draw them. Now, people may be dazzled by these things for a time, but these things do not last, and they do not endure Modern constructs and moral improvement will not draw people to a saving relationship of Christ. Only the crucified Christ, lifted up on the cross, will draw them. Now, I want you to, that's more just an introduction. I want you to notice one more thing before we move to the passage for this morning. He says. I want you to see that the drawing work of God the Father through the work of Christ by the Spirit will be, is 100% effective. It is 100% effective. Jesus said, I will draw all people to myself. Now, we've already established that that does not mean everyone in the world will be redeemed. That would be universalism. And the Bible certainly does not teach universalism. But as we see in chapter 6 and chapter 10, he would draw all kinds of people to himself. People who are scattered around the world. He will draw them to himself. How does he do that? Through the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that draws people to Christ. Now, the gospel can go out in many different ways. It can go out in written form. It can go out in, in preaching. It can go out in all kinds of different methods. But it's the gospel that does this. It's the word of God going out to people that does it. So, as we come to verses 34 through 37, having stated these things in a very clear way, the people still didn't understand that he was the Messiah, even though at times they did recognize in a way that he could possibly be that. We see that on one occasion they wanted to make him king, and he... Wouldn't let them. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they were hailing him as the Messiah, but it only lasted that long when he did not turn out to be what they envisioned him to be. So in verse 34 it says, The crowd answered when he said these things about himself being lifted up and drawing people to himself. The crowd answered. And this is what they said. We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Wow, what a loaded question. You ever have anybody ask you, well, who is Jesus Christ anyway? That has got to be the most loaded question that you could be asked. If we examine the text, we find that Jesus did not say, in this passage at least, he did not say that he must be lifted up. What he said was, when I am lifted up. Now that is not discounting the fact that he must be lifted up. For we know that in John chapter 3, verse 14, he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And in John chapter 8, he says the same thing that he says here. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. So there are several things, a couple of things at least, to notice out of verse 34. One is that the glorification of Jesus Christ and his being lifted up on the cross are connected. Jesus could not be glorified as the Son of Man or as the Son of God if he was not lifted up on the cross. For the cross is the method that God used to glorify his Son and the Son to glorify the Father. Second, Jesus' self, his self-presentation as the Son of Man, is a messianic claim. When he uses those words, he is declaring that he is the Messiah, the Christ. It's understood, it was understood as one, by the Jews at least, it was understood to be one who had divine origins. The Messiah would have divine origins. Their claim of knowing the law Should have told them who he was. In fact, the Old Testament bears it as well as the New Testament. Psalm 80, verse 17. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Psalm 80, verse 17. Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. The Jews were familiar with this term. They knew That when he spoke of himself as the Son of Man, he was declaring that he was the Messiah. Matthew chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. Revelation chapter 14. Then I looked. And behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. These people picked up on what the Old Testament scriptures revealed about the one who was the Messiah. And the word Messiah literally means the anointed one. The one anointed by God. To be the be the successor of all nations the one who would rule all the nations of earth it was used among this word was used among the kings of Israel we see it in 1 Samuel 16 2 Samuel chapter 1 jesus constantly referred to himself as the son of man used 84 times in the new testament with reference to jesus christ Now, where did they get their understanding of this? Because they said, we know that the law says, they're referring to the law of God, to the Old Testament scriptures, that Christ remains forever. Where would they have gotten that from? Well, there are many places, Daniel chapter 2, Psalm 72, Psalm 89... Maybe they were thinking of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, which says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Christ remains forevermore. This is what they knew from the scriptures, and they were right. Clear message the people. Clear message the people sent that day, with their understanding of what the Messiah would be. They they pictured a triumphant victor, someone who would bring Israel to be the number one nation on earth. But Jesus did not look like the victor they expected. No victorious king would be cursed to hang on a cross. So they asked the question, Who is this Son of Man? Now that sounds like a legitimate question, does it not? But it is not the way it was intended here. This was a mocking question. In essence they're asking what kind of son of man are you talking about what kind of son of man is it that instead of remaining as king forever is hung upon a cross to die that's not the their question their sarcastic question indicates their belief that Jesus was not the messiah he was not their Messiah. He is not the political, earthly, nationalistic Messiah that they expected to come. And so, even though they hailed him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just a few days, a couple of days later, they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. Instead, instead of being that earthly nationalistic Messiah they expected, he was the one who in his humanity had connection to all of the people on earth. Because he was a man. He was a, he was a, a human being, just like you and just like me. He is connected to our humanity He is the man who suffers and experiences humiliation. He is the man of sorrows. The glory He speaks of is a delayed glory that will be revealed when He returns the second time in the clouds and every eye will see His glory. But that has not yet happened. Now, I want you to notice... From verse 35 uh, and and 36, how patient. I want you to see the graciousness, the compassion of the Lord in these verses. Uh, Notice what he says again. So Jesus said to them, after their sarcastic statements, what kind of Christ are you talking about? What kind of son of man is this person? He says to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Now I want you to connect the words walk, in verse 35, with the word believe, in verse 36. Just a little line from walk to believe. Circle them both or underline them. Because they represent the same thing. Faith in the Son of God. To walk in the light is to believe the light. To believe the light is to walk in the light. You cannot separate them. If you try to separate them... You don't have true Christianity. People live out what they believe. And if they believe in themselves, they will live out their lives for themselves. If they believe in Christ, they will live out their lives for Him who gave Himself for them doesn't mean they do it perfectly. But that's their desire. That's, their, that's what they want. They want to live for Christ because Christ is their Lord. Now here we have Jesus' last words of public teaching. They portray the perfection of divine patience after all he has gone through, after all the rejection, after all of the the threats and the trying to hunt him down to arrest him and try him and kill him, those who have treated him so indignantly, we find patience and compassion. They will soon, these people will soon break forth with violence, the violence of a cross, yet he remains unhampered by outbursts of emotion. Jesus was able to control his emotions, something I've never been very well, very easy, easily to do. Psalm 103, verse 8 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Arthur Pink responds, How wondrous is God's patience with the world today. On every side, people are sinning with high hand. The divine law is trampled underfoot and God Himself is openly despised. It is truly amazing that He does not instantly strike dead those who so brazenly defy Him. You ever think about it? The patience and long-suffering of God, when people openly defy Him, when they openly blaspheme Him, even, even in the very halls of our government... How long will God wait? How long will His patience endure? Approximately two more days and Jesus will be arrested, tried, and sentenced to death. The light of the ages was on and shining bright, but it would soon be extinguished. The last words to the unbelieving crowd, to this unbelieving crowd, were words of solemn warning. That they would not always have the light with them. But it was also a gracious invitation that flowed from his heart of love and compassion for people. Alexander McLaren writes about this verse. He loves too well not to warn, but he will not leave the bitterness of threatening as a last flavor on the palate. And so the lips into which grace is poured bade farewell to his enemies with the promise that the hope and the hope that they may even become the sons of light. The Apostle Paul. Sends the same message in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you presume upon the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? When one realizes the, the greatness of their sin. When one realizes that they have Insulted the very God of heaven and trampled upon His holiness. And they see Him opening His arms of invitation, grace, and compassion. Would that not lead people to repent of the sins that they've committed against Him? Our God is a God of patience and slowness to act in what sinners deserve. I don't want what I deserve. God would have sent me to hell long ago. The words of the Lord here are reminiscent to those in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Turn to 2 Chronicles 36. I want you to see this. Chapter 36, verse 15. This is where Israel is at at this point in chapter 12. So, Second Chronicles 36, verse 15. The Lord the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by His messengers. Why? Why did He persist over and over and over again to send His messengers, His prophets, to the people? Why did He do it? Because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place, (coughs) His, His temple. So what did they do in response to his patient pursuit of them? Verse 16, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against the people, until there was no remedy. What does that say? It says that God is long suffering and He's patient. And He sends His gospel over and over and over to people. But they persist in rejecting Him. They persist in despising Him. They persist in hating what He has to say to them. Until the time comes when His patience will not endure any longer. And then there's no remedy. God's patience finally ran out. And the day is coming when His patience will run out for our generation. Individually, this happens every time a person dies and their soul is separated from their body and departs from that body. And Hebrews 9 tells us that it is appointed unto people to die, once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's why today is the day of salvation. Because no one is promised tomorrow. You don't know that you'll be here tomorrow. You have no no guarantee. These words in verses 35 and 36 are in essence the final call for sinners to believe the gospel and be saved. The words that he uses, "lest the darkness overtake you," are interesting words. They comprise a very serious warning of destruction. The overtaking of darkness indicates destruction. In the Bible, in Bible times, and even in the era before um, electric lights. People would not travel at night because they couldn't see where they were going. And you might run off of a road or a path and and end up injured or dead. And so people only traveled during the daylight hours. I remember... When we lived in Australia the we had a, a church camp uh, up in the mountains at a camp that we used to go to and the whole church was there and, and we would go up and spend a few days at the camp. And I remember we had said that we were gonna go out into the field that was adjacent to the to the camp and um and look at the stars, shooting stars and the The Milky Way, because we were up in the mountains. It was away from the light of the city. It's an amazing sight to see the Southern Hemisphere uh, stars. You can't even imagine uh, what that looks like uh, unless you've seen it. We were out in the field. It was dark, pitch pitch dark, except for the light of the stars. That didn't help you when you were walking around. And all of a sudden we heard screaming and splashing. There was a creek there and a bridge that we had to cross to get to that field. But one of the boys decided he was going to go running through the, uh, through the trees back to the building or whatever. And he, he didn't see the creek and he, and he ran right off of the bank and down in the water. It was pitch black and he, he couldn't get out. He didn't know how to get out. It was so dark. And so one of the men jumped in and grabbed him and pulled him out. This is what Jesus is talking about in a spiritual way. He relates this to John chapter 1, verse 5. If you'd like to flip back there very very quickly and look and see... John 1, verse 5. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the same word that's used in chapter 12. But the light that John is speaking of here in chapter 1, verse 5, is the light of Christ that banishes the darkness. And he alludes to the darkness as it was in the beginning of creation. All things were created by him and there was nothing that was created that was not created by him. So he's talking, he's looking back at the creation at the time when darkness was over the face of the deep. It was only water and it was only dark. It was completely black in the beginning of the creation. And then God said, let there be light in Genesis 1 verse 2. And there was Light And the darkness was banished by the light when God spoke. And so, darkness and light are not simply opposites. They certainly are that, but that's not all that they are. Darkness is defined as the absence of light. I've been in two places that were completely pitch dark, where no light was was at all. One was on board a ship in in, uh, California when I got out of the Air Force, worked for the Navy. We were on a ship way down in the lower decks, and the power on the ship went out. And we were in darkness. You couldn't see anything. The other was at Mammoth Cave in, down in, in Missouri. Uh, we went through and they turned out the light so we could experience true darkness. Darkness is where, there, where no light exists. And this darkness that Jesus is speaking of here is the darkness... That is the absence of His light. Oh, these people can see with their eyes. They can see physically. But they're groping around in spiritual darkness and they don't know where they're going. There's no light. So spiritual darkness is the absence of the light of Christ. And when He came into this world, born into this world, the spiritual darkness could not overcome him. That is, it could not destroy him. The light of Christ prevailed. Well, Satan tried to put it out, but he was not successful. So in this passage, as he speaks about light and darkness, here he is relating light to truth and life, and he's relating darkness to unbelief and death and judgment. They were like people walking around in the blackness of night without stars or moon to light their way. They stumble and they fall, bringing spiritual destruction to themselves because Darkness is the master of their life. The only way to avoid falling to their own destruction was to come to the light and become sons of light, believe in the light. I look at people today, in our world, there's so much darkness. Darkness. They think they see, but they don't. Their eyes are blind, and they grope around in spiritual darkness. They don't know where they're going. God's message to His people, Israel, was one that constantly warned them to repent. Constantly warned them to come to the light. And yet they persistently Rejected God's warnings. But there came a time when spiritual darkness overtook them. Listen to what Nehemiah nine, verse thirty says. Speaking of God, he says, Nehemiah says this many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirits through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the people of the land. They went into slavery, they were killed in wars and attacks. Psalm 81 verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. And what is their own counsel? It's to live in their sin. It's to follow their own depraved heart. Isaiah 63, verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Therefore He turned to be their enemy, and He Himself fought against them. This is the same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 1. God gave them up to the lust of their own hearts to impurity, to, be, to, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Is that not what's happening today? Today? Can we not see it? For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women engaged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Lesbianism. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done exactly what's happening today. Those that reject and refuse God's grace, who never embrace Christ in saving faith, will finally and ultimately face God's judgment, vengeance, and wrath in eternal punishment. That is not a popular message, but it's a true one. Hebrews 10 verse 27 graphically describes what this looks like. Here's what it says. It is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Fire. Is there anything worse than being burned? Now, (laughs) just <laughs> seems like a pretty negative uh, point here, doesn't it? But you know, you can't give a warning without something negative. And here's the last part of this. Notice in verse 36. Last line. This is the most tragic and final act of Jesus' public ministry. Verse 36: When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Without a doubt, the most sobering and fearful statements, one of the most sobering and fearful statements in Scripture. He hid himself from them. The Son of God, the light of the world, hid himself from these people. That term, hid himself, is passive, which means that God hid Christ from them so that they would not see or hear or find him. Their rejection is now solidified with their eternal destiny. Other than verses 44 to 50, Jesus would not present Himself to them any longer. God's patience toward the the Jews had come to an end. And now Jesus is acting out the judicial warning that He has pronounced. They had been given the opportunity to believe and become sons of light, but they loved their darkness. Because they want to continue in their sin. They don't want to come to the light. There's a similar verse in John 8, verse 59, where they picked up stones to throw at Him. And it says, He hid Himself from them. More accurately, God hid Him from them. And He passed through them undetected. There is a more important note to this rejection and the responsibility of these people to believe the gospel. And that is that the scriptures must be fulfilled. And that's coming next. That's not for this morning. People ask all the time. I've had people ask me all the time, especially when I talk about God's choosing of His people people ask well how do I know if I've been chosen by God how do I know that the answer to this seemingly difficult question is what have you done with Jesus who is called Christ have you have you received Him as your Lord are you following His words have you repented of your sins before God? And are you in love with Jesus Christ? If you have, if the, if the answer is yes, I've done that, I, I am that, then you've been chosen. And if the answer is no, then you haven't been chosen yet. See, we can't say that it's all done Forever. Because we don't know that. Some people come to the Lord on their deathbeds. The thief that was hanging with the Christ on the cross was just before dying when he believed and came to the light. But it is a dangerous thing to just walk away and say, oh, if that's not for me now, I'll do that some other time. You don't know. That you can another time. That's why today is the day of salvation. So if your answer is no, then come to Christ, trust Him, follow Him, make Him the Lord of your life. Repent of your sins and he'll give you the light of life, his life. You know, it's so easy to take these kinds of things and just say, well, uh, I can live with this or I can live with that but when we're talking about eternity eternity it doesn't end and people who die and end up in hell can never get out of that and conversely people who trust Christ will have eternal life with him peace joy And they will experience the smiling face of God upon them because of Christ Himself. So trust Him today. If you haven't, do it today. Don't wait. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus and for His coming to this earth and uh, living uh, among sinful people. We thank You for His gracious patience and kindness. And even while these people were mocking Him and and blaspheming Him, He extends to them grace and light. Come to the light. Lest the darkness destroy you. And so we thank You, Father, for that. Because that... That was us at one time. Those of us who know Him, that was us. Your grace came upon us and we saw the loving kindness of the Lord and we repented of our sins and went to follow Christ. We're still following Him. Pray, Lord, that You would do Your work in Your people and in those who do not know You, that You would open their hearts to the Gospel To be saved. To come to know the peace that passes understanding. That's found in Christ alone. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.